This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you today? Doing well, Sean. Uh, Monday, another day of uh, Kentucky Daily. I've got a good, good guest set to come on today and got some more Kentucky basketball to talk about, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Derek, uh, Dallin Cuff of ESPN will be joining us on this episode Dallin's the studio guy who was in studio for the Kentucky-Louisville game at ESPN. He, he's been in studio a couple of times this season. I think maybe the Richmond game, I think he was in studio as well when Kentucky played. So Dallin's a guy who watches a lot of Kentucky basketball. He watches a lot of college basketball. So he's going to come on and give us his thoughts on Kentucky struggles. Before we get into that, I do want to say John Calipari on the teleconference today did confirm uh, just didn't work out for a midweek game. It was something they wanted to do. Hartford was the team they were going to play. Derek, I know he mentioned Detroit Mercy as well. I can tell you that Hartford was on the schedule to come to Rupp Arena Wednesday. Uh, I can't say that. Uh, I reached out to to UK last night and was talking about it, and that was definitely the plan. Uh, I don't know. I think Harvard or Hartford's schedule kind of threw it in. I mean, they they played. I think they played Sunday, Monday. And so then it would be a midweek game on Wednesday, and then they would do another back-to-back on the weekend as well. So that's why that game's not being played. So now it'll be Kentucky at Mississippi State. Uh, John Calipari did confirm that Cameron Fletcher is backing Lexington. So it wasn't a long process. I think Cal made it sound like at first when he was doing the whole, it's not going to be on his terms, it's going to be on you know our terms. I was starting to think that Cameron Fletcher would be gone for three weeks or possibly never come back. But it, I guess it's to see that it was only, what, a week? Yeah, I guess no, it was less than – well, I don't know when he got back. It was last Monday, right, I think, whenever he got sent home. Last Monday or probably Monday. Yeah, it was last Monday, so. Yeah, days are running together. <laughs> I would guess he probably got back, what, would you say last night probably, and then they just waited till today to announce yeah, it. But, uh, no, I said last week I didn't think he'd ever play again at Kentucky. I don't know if he'd come back. Um I would say the most encouraging thing, yes, he came back. Obviously, that's encouraging. But, two, Cal said on the teleconference that he came back without any kind of promises as to his playing time. You know, Cal said he might not even play. So, that's still Cameron coming back. Obviously, he wants to be a part of the program, wants to do whatever it takes to earn those minutes is how it sounds like to me. Um, As we move forward long term, I guess we'll still have to see what happens after the season, but that that would be encouraging to me if he comes back, does what does what construction uh, staff wants him to do. He buys in, then Sean, you could see a real role for him next year. I mean, if that's what he wants to do, if he wants to stick around and, and fight through that, I think that could be a really encouraging thing long term, probably more than the short term. Because if Cal's you know being truthful there, 
I, I still don't see a huge path to playing time right now. It doesn't mean that come February there won't be, but no. in the next but, three or four games or whatnot, he probably still won't play a huge role. But that is good, though. I think that's the right mentality. That's that's an encouraging thing today. And I don't know how encouraging, but it's in a time where there's been so much kind of bad news for Kentucky, this seems like a step in the right direction in terms of an attitude and whatnot for this team. I think so, too. I think it's uh, probably the most positive news the program's had. In, in a while, and I mean, given that it was it was a negative last week, it's positive this week, and you know, hopefully, whatever happened with Cameron Fletcher, hopefully he learned from it, Derek, and he he finds a path to stay at Kentucky. I do think this is big for the program moving forward because we keep talking about you got to find a way to keep these kids around for more than one year, and especially kids like Fletcher who you could see being at Kentucky three to four years. Yeah, uh, that's that's a kid you want in your program to you know learn if if it goes hand in hand with what I said the other day that. Kentucky has to find a way to produce their own juniors and seniors, and this is a way to do that. And Derek, it kind of makes it – I don't want to say it makes the struggles worth it for the program and for the fans, but we've talked about this on the show multiple times. If if they have a, if they find a way to retain 80% of this roster through these struggles, then it, it kind of at least gives some hope for the future that they're building something, and it makes the struggles worth it a little more, if that makes any sense at all. No, it does. Um yeah, I mean, as it stands right now, let's just go ahead and get into this. It's just, you know, it's a Monday. We don't have a ton of news to talk about, so let's just make our own things to talk about. I sent you a thing yesterday, a lineup, and I thought I phrased it as the worst. I said worst case scenario. I don't really mean it that way. I tried to look at it in the most in terms of what would be realistic and what, based on the history of what we know, the John Calipari era guys who are leave unexpectedly, guys who are probably still go to the NBA. So I just tried to form an extra starting lineup, and I included Sky Clark as a reclass. So the lineup, Sean, I'm going to go off the top of my head. Tell me if I was wrong on the names. I'm pretty sure I'm right. I said Sky Clark, Devin Askew, Keon Brooks, Lance Ware, and Damian Collins, right? Yeah, that's what you said. So that – I would not put any kind of money on that being the lineup next year because I didn't take into account possible transfers both into the program and out. Uh and that's that's not adding any more recruits besides Skies or E-Class. So the point I'm trying to make there is the worst case, Kentucky can still have three five-stars out of high school and two four-stars in their starting lineup. But just the idea that that 20, uh, 20 class, which is ranked number one, I mean, if they can find a way to get Isaiah Jackson back, Sean, I can see four guys from that class coming back. And that has been how long since maybe 2013? Does that sound right, that they've had that many guys from one class come back? So that would be a step in the right direction, I think, if they can get there. And, uh, you, you know, with that lineup I just mentioned, if Dante Allen doesn't leave, you could sell two more guys from 2019 back as well. So that's six guys from the last two classes, which for Kentucky, man, that would be a pretty big deal, I think. And, and I'm going to say this, too. I have completely changed my opinion on Jacob Toppin. Pretty pretty good, I thought. I'm going to think. I'm going to go ahead and make this statement. It's bold. Jacob Toppin might be the most important piece to this UK basketball program right now, dear, because that's why they took him. Right? Was based on long term potential. It wasn't what you're getting right now. Uh, that's the whole reason they took. I mean, we question like why are why are you taking him? Like why are you taking a transfer from Rhode Island? But I think now you're starting to see it, and it's honestly paying off for him right now. The the fact that he's eligible. He was he was one of the best players on the floor Saturday. Uh, he's had moments. You could actually make a case, Derek, that he's in the top three right now for moments that we've kind of looked at the season and see, like, wow, he's getting something. Like, he had a spring to Kansas that was really good. 
Uh, he had the play Saturday that I thought was his best play of the season. He played some big minutes down down the stretch in some games. I, Cal keeps going to him for a reason. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Toppin, just the confidence that he had. I, you know, talked about what I was saying the other day about I thought he had some kind of awkward moments against North Carolina. Um, but he, you know, he had some tough shots against Louisville. He looked like he was ready for that kind of moment. I mean, keep in mind this was a kid who was supposed to be redshirting this year, and he was fine with that plan until everyone was just getting waivers. So. I like him a lot, Sean, as a possible sixth man yeah. next year, and maybe I mean the next two years if he wants to hang around. He, he's um, a he's a guy that can play, Derek. I think I think he's showing you right now. He can play a few different spots. He can play on the perimeter some. Use the turnaround jumper he hit, uh, the the move, the little step through move that he made there, scored the next possession. Uh, right now, I think it just becomes get get keep giving him minutes is what I'm wanting to see Cal do. Yeah. Let him play. That way, because that, that's a kid that's going to be on this roster next year. Like, I feel really confident that he came to Kentucky not leaving after this season. Like, he – you can see the development and the potential in his game. Uh, I'll also say this. You can also see exactly where he needs to get better. A, late, a move late in the game, he tried to go up right-handed off the finish baseline. As athletic as he is, Derek, he has to dunk that ball. Right there, that was a big play. I don't know if you remember that or not, but then the rebound kind of went long into the corner there on the baseline. Uh, but just little things like that. But the thing that I like about him is you're—he's not scared of the moment. He's had some—he's uh, had some shots where you look and you're like, man, he's not scared to take a take a shot, and he just keeps shooting them, Derek. He does. I mean, he—you know—he hit that first turnaround, and then it seemed like that just kind of got him, got him going. I mean, that was a tough contested shot over a defender, and then he—he uh, he was just efficient too. That's what I'm kind of looking for on this team because you got so many guys, or maybe not so many, a few guys who have to shoot a lot to score a little. And Jacob hit five of seven shots, and he's not stepping out hitting tons of jumpers, but he had a few, and he's shown a willingness to shoot. Um, I would like to see him kind of develop more of that outside shot. I mean, he's not afraid to shoot them, but if he could get to a point where he could at least hit a few moving forward, I mean, he's kind of like – would you say he's more naturally like a, a three or a four? I know they kind of have him playing a four, but like could you see him – like if, if there's ever a day where Jacob Toppin makes the NBA, do you think it'll be his wing or as a front court guy? It'll have to be as a wing, in my opinion. That's what I was like thinking. Just, just looking at, yeah, looking at his skill set. Yeah. I can see him being, if he develops a jumper that is consistent, and I'm talking it doesn't have to be a three-point jumper from the top of the key, but if he can be one of those guys like a Patrick Patterson who developed a, a, a corner three-point game and he takes advantage of that shorter three-point line, he could have – he could you could see a role for him as a professional basketball player. I mean, he's athletic as can be, Derek. Uh, I think his skill set, and the thing that really stands out to me, he fights for every single rebound. That's what I like about him and Lance Ware right now. I actually question Lance Ware's ability to play in this program beyond this season. And then here he's come out the last two games and kind of carving out a role on this team. Like the thing that the way you get minutes on this team right now, there's two ways you make shots and you fight. And right now, Lance Ware's not going to make shots for you, that's not his game right now. But he is fighting for every inch he can get on the floor right now, whether it's post position, whether it's rebounds. If he could get to the point that he could be a good free throw shooter, I could see him shooting 10 free throws plus a game in a Kentucky career because you have to foul him because he's so strong. Yeah, I think I'm guilty of that stuff too, and I think we've been conditioned. I think as media and probably fans have too, like you're kind of conditioned that if a kid doesn't excel right away, like they're probably more like – 
I think almost every kid Kentucky brings in, if they're there long enough, can develop into productive players. It's just we're kind of conditioned to believe that they'll either transfer or try to get out as soon as possible. So I was the same way with you on where. Like, he's a guy that I still don't think he has much offensive game right now, but that's fine. I mean, he's a young player. If he sticks around uh, two, three years, like Lance could be a very big piece to this program. And I like to just think for next season, he's the kind of guy that, I mean, if we, some of those names have already reeled off. Like, just having that experience from this year, like, that lineup, going back to what we mentioned earlier, like, there are some problems with that team. Like, there's no true bucket getter, at least at this point, that we would know for sure. But it's at least, what, four, th- three guys in the starting lineup who have at least played. And there's some other variations you could do. I mean, I, I'm kind of the point now, Sean, where, like, we still got to start SEC play. Still got to see how these guys do. Maybe they make it interesting. Maybe it seems like they might have a chance. But I'm already kind of getting to that point where, what I said a few days ago, like I'm wanting to see how Cal goes to some of these guys who you would expect back for another year well, in terms of getting the – because I'm thinking from Cal's perspective, man, like he's not an idiot. He's going to think if this season goes really south, like he's going to want to try to come back next year in a really big way. And if you can develop enough of these guys, um, I don't know. Do you, do you still see a – maybe it will depend on what Isaiah Jackson does, but theoretically, Sean, looking at a lineup next year, like – to me, it seems like they might still need to add some more size based on like they got Collins coming in, and I guess Hawkins could theoretically be kind of a mixture of a three or a four. But I don't know. It seems like you could use some more size. They, it could just be where, even if you do bring Jackson back, if it's just where Jackson and uh, Toppin can help you a little bit, but where Jackson and Collins would seem like the they, they got to develop a low, they got to have a low post presence, somebody that can put the block on the blocker. Now, right now, they don't have that on this team because SAR is not giving them that. Jackson, when they try to play through him, Derek, it feels forced because his offensive game is not very good. That's not his strength right now is to post up. Uh, Lance Ware is their best post threat right now, but he's not polished enough to be able to score, if that makes sense. He's going to get position. I just don't know if it's going to end in a basket. Isn't this what we've been asking for, though? Isn't this what the fans have been saying? You want more kids like Lance Ware and Cameron Fletcher and Jacob Toppin, guys that you can actually see be in your program for more than one year. Yes, they're struggling, but they're all getting to play right now. Maybe that's the payoff of this. Maybe this is the turning point that kind of changes it. Maybe Cal won't admit it because Boston and Clark were supposed to be stars. They were billed to be that. But maybe the struggles of this is the fact that they get to a point as a program to where they stop having constant turnover to the point that it's 85 90% getting in place. Maybe – this is where you get some kids and you find some kids that are going to stay in your program for the long term. And then you try to mix in, like I think Bryce Hopkins is a long-term guy. No one seems like a long-term guy when you watch him on tape. Maybe that's the point of this program right now, Derek. And if they balance this thing out and these guys become juniors, then you don't have one in six starts. Then you get a, yeah. a balance and you get a good blend of it. Yeah, I want to see it happen first. I mean, I want to see basically everybody come back except – I mean, I just assume based on history and where they're probably still going to be. Like, I just assume Clark and Boston are probably going to leave. Like, I would, I would consider them locks to leave, regardless of how they play. Jackson, like to me, I can almost see even more than uh, Clark and Boston. Like, I could see some NBA teams getting excited about him more than those other two. But he almost feels like the really big one to me. If you could convince him to come back for another year, you know, keep working, try to stay out of foul trouble. Um, him as a defender in a year two would be. 
really like basically what I'm trying to say is, and the reason I think people are so well, they're one and six. That's why people are so down. I wouldn't try to characterize it any other way. Like it's it's very reasonable, but I do think you would get people quickly back on board though, if you only lost two guys or so from this team. I mean, hell, some of those guys, if everybody decided they wanted to come back, I think people would would get behind this team. I told you last night, Sean, and I've been I've been very critical of BJ Boston. But like what I told you is I would love to see what that kid looked like at the end of year two in a more normal off-season environment, which is why I think it might not be 100% normal this off-season, but I think it will definitely be closer to what it you – know, definitely different than what it was this previous summer in terms of COVID. Give them 31 games or so next year. I would love to see a sophomore B.J. Boston. Do I think it's going to happen? No. But, I mean, maybe he's kind of that piece that next year's team could use because – theoretically, B.J. Boston should be a guy who could go get you a bucket whenever you need it. And he's not proven to be that this year, but who knows what it would look like a year from now. But I don't know, Sean. Keeping an eye on this team, they don't play again until Saturday, correct? Mississippi State's the next game. So, yeah, they didn't get – I'm sure he would have loved to have played that game. You know, you talked about Hartford earlier. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is where it starts. It's almost like the second start to a season. That's kind of how I'm going to view this. This is definitely, whether Cal wants to admit it or not, Derek, I think this is a change in the program one way or the other. It's either going to be a change of, he's going something's going to have to change, whether it's style of play and how, they, how he's doing things offensively, or it's a turning point to maybe getting some experience every single year on your roster. I think we're to the point now, Derek, that we can expect Keon Brooks to be back at Kentucky next year. He's not even played half a season. So that if there's – I don't want to say there's a positive from him having a calf injury. We don't know. If, if he would have come out and looked like an All-American, would it fix this team? Would this team be 6-1? and one? I don't know. I think Kentucky fans would have taken that. But what if I told you that you're getting him back with some of these other pieces? We shouldn't assume. But if, to me, it just feels different this year. It feels like they've got some kids that I think – have the mindset that they know they're not one and done. They're no, nowhere. Yeah. They're nowhere on draft boards. So, so what I'm getting at is it's a turning point here. But let's say, for instance, Jackson has Jackson's going to have the toughest decision, in my opinion, because he's the guy that's kind of climbed up draft boards off the start of the season. You're right about that. I mean, I also think that being one and one and six probably. I think you would hopefully think there might be a little bit more. Uh, perspective for the kids that like maybe it's more eye-opening is what I'm trying to say if you come to Kentucky this great basketball program you've seen all these guys in front of you have great great seasons typically as a team and quite a bit of uh, individual success I just think coming here it has to be eye-opening I think for these kids that uh, hey a lot of these other guys have come through here now they didn't have to deal with COVID they didn't have to deal with some of the other stuff I get that but still I agree with you. This is a group of kids that – and even on the surface when we were talking about coming into the season, like I don't think anybody thought Lance Ware would be a one-and-done. I don't – Askew was kind of hit or miss. I think some thought he could be, some thought maybe not. I don't see him being that way at all. And a matter of fact, I think he'll probably come back. Fletcher, probably just hoping he can get through the season. <laughs> Fletcher, well, you get him back and he can come back and try to contribute and hopefully he sticks around next year. Dante yeah, Allen, who knows, but – you want to know the good news about it that I think is that makes it different is these kids are getting minutes. Yeah. Like Devin Askew's played a ton of minutes there, and he struggled, but he's playing a ton of minutes. That's not changing. He's playing a ton of minutes the rest of the year. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think for the position where 
Lance Ware and Jacob Toppin are going to keep getting minutes. It feels different than it did with Johnny Juzang, Jamal Baker, and all these other guys where they they're kind of their minutes kind of just disappeared entirely. That that's the one thing that I'm going to say about Cal that he's doing right now, and maybe it's only happening because they're struggling. These kids are all five stars, four star kids. They want to play Derek, and even with the struggles, that might be the one positive that's coming out of this is you're keeping guys happy that there shouldn't be a kid that transfers out of your there shouldn't be a kid that transfers out of your program at the end of this year. If they do, maybe it's just because there's not a fit there. Seems like it's where Jacob Pop and Devin ask you all these guys. They playing time is not an issue right now. Right. You know, I'm gonna go back again to the. I was telling you, I can't remember if I mentioned on the podcast or not, but I was watching some of the 2017 team play, and just how how important Derek Willis and Dominic Hawkins were. And now those both of those guys, yes, they stuck it out. I know Dominic played, especially his freshman year. Dominic played quite a bit in that tournament run, whereas Willis, I don't think played at all. I mean, Willis basically never saw a floor his first two years. Now the circumstances are different. Anybody listening to this is gonna say, well, he had Marcus Lee. Kari Johnson, Carlton Towns, you can go on and on. I get it. Those teams are stacked, whereas this team, one of the main arguments for Dante right now was how back can this kid be if you look at everybody else on this team? Like, how is he not seeing any kind of action? So I get that thing. But what I'm trying to say is the point I would make, if Cal, and who knows who they're going to sign in 2022, 23, maybe, maybe they'll sign the top shooting guard both those years. I don't know. With some of these new rules coming into play, like if Dante stays here, works on it, Maybe next year's his chance. Maybe two years from now he gets his chance. Like I, I hope that they strongly encourage him to stay and to keep working. Now I, I get that it's probably really tough right now because everybody's saying, "No, why is he not playing Dante?" Well, Dante should transfer if he's not even gonna give him a shot at all. Um, I just think he's an important kind of guy you want to try to keep around for. Maybe it's not even next year. Maybe he plays a little bit here and there, but then the year after that, maybe you miss on some guys in recruiting. Transfer portal, we don't really know how that's going to be yet. But if you don't get someone there, I mean, you could be going into a spot where you need him that year. Maybe he's a starter that year. Maybe he plays 30 minutes a game. Like, I, I just hope that he he wants – and maybe – I don't know. Like, part of me even thinks, though, Sean, I don't know. Like, does this, this Cal think he's good enough to stay around here and play? I don't, I don't know. I mean, we'll have but, to see. I, I do think – as much as it is, like, when I watch them play and they just shoot brick after brick, I'm like, how can this kid not get it on all? Maybe maybe he's just simply not good enough yet. But I hope he stays and I hope he keeps working. If, if it's really his dream to play basketball at Kentucky, I think he'll he'll probably give it a little bit longer ride than some of these guys have. You know, we've talked about Scott Clark reclassifying and stuff to 21, which, Derek, I honestly think when it comes down to it and it's, and it's kind of pressed – and Scott sees a position to play at Kentucky next season right away and come in and do something that they really struggle to do right now, which is score the ball, I think that he'll be on the roster. But here's the other side of this. It's not like they're bringing in guys that are just you're looking at saying it's going to be in the league a year later. Yeah. So it, it does feel like if this works out and they return majority of these guys, I think fans might be happy for the first time in a while when it comes to having some familiarity with the program. Because when I look at Nolan Hickman and Bryce Hopkins, I see the same type of players. I don't see guys that are just going to just bloom into, you know, big-time stars and leave like Tower Hero or someone like that did after one season. I see consistency with the guys that are recruiting. There is a change in their approach to me and how they're recruiting right now, which if still don't I don't think Cal thought they'd be 1-6 right now. Because, I mean, obviously, we all thought that Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston were the real deal. 
And, I mean, still have plenty of time for that to change, Derek, but they have to change a ton of it to get us to that point. But there's a lot of pieces on this roster, and I think that we thought that too, that we kind of identified as long-term guys. And if they turn out to be long-term guys, and then you get at least two more next year, maybe three, depending on how they finish it out, and those guys start and continue to be long-term guys, this program's in a much better spot moving forward. Uh, this this might be the changing of exactly what you know we've all been kind of calling for and kind of saying that Cal needed to do at some point. If you're no longer getting Carl Anthony Towns, Julius Randall, and those guys, it's okay to still go get five-star guys, but there's a lot of five-star guys, Derek, that stay in college basketball more than one year. Yeah. It's got to get to the point where they do that at Kentucky, and then I think you kind of solve the problem of having to start over every year. And here's the deal. If Cal's going to stick around a lot longer at Kentucky – he cannot go through like he has the first 11 where he's having to start all over. At some point, it wears you out as a human being, and I think you're seeing that wear him down right now. Just, I mean, he just he looks tired. You know, just, while you're sitting there talking, I was trying to think. It's kind of like the sweet spot. Like, I like what you're saying about Hickman and Hopkins. You would think those two guys would be around. What about if you go out and add another Jacob Toppin type, someone who's going to come in with the attitude that they're ready to work? If you can have a roster most years where you got four or five, I mean, when I say highly thought of, like, Askew was still a pretty highly thought of recruit. Uh, I mean, everybody they signs like a top 50 kid, basically. So if you can sign a few kids maybe who don't come in with the top 10 ranking, if you make your quarter roster four or five of those guys, you get one transfer. So maybe an impact transfer, but also transfers that you just put in place that those kids want to come here and they want to work and improve their game. If you have six, seven guys of that frame that I'm just talking about, and then you add – uh, top five guy, two two or three top ten guys, then I think you have something to really work with. I don't think he needs to try to go back to the style of let's sign six guys who are all ranked in the top 20. Yeah, you get some extremely talented teams, but then it just it's so boom or bust. So it's probably easier said than done at Kentucky because you've got some different expectations here versus other schools. But I do think that if it's going to happen, like if they're ever going to come into a more normal type program, like this is the core, that's what I need to do it. I mean, you got to keep some of these kids here um, and don't let them kind of get poached from your roster. And I mean, we've already heard Jay Lucas talk about that quite a bit. And like all the interviews he's done, he's talked about the transfer portal and how you have to keep recruiting your own guys. Cause I think they know that. Well, I'll, I'll use Allen as an example, just cause he's like, okay, Fletcher, let's just use Fletcher as an example. Like, he probably already has teams like St. Louis, Missouri, you know, groups like – not saying they're tampering with them, but people in his ear, people who have recruited him that he chose Kentucky over saying, hey, you come here, you're going to get all the shots you want. You know what I'm trying to say. So you got to keep those kind of guys around if you're going to build teams that I think can once again be around 30, 30, uh, 35 win-type teams that can compete for a national championship. Here's the thing that I think that Cal needs to do going into next year. Let's say that a lot of these guys return, and they, they don't get Jaden Hardy in, in the recruiting process. They, they don't go out and get Hunter Salas, which is trending in another direction right now, according to the crystal ball picks and all the buzz with Gonzaga. But when you look at this thing, you know who, you know who Kentucky needs to go get? And Cal just needs to go get a guy like Carly Jones. I mean, somebody like that, Derek, that can score the basketball. And he did it at Rafford, and he's doing it at Louisville now. And when you look at his track record and you look at this, this is a normal 
college basketball progression number I'm about to throw out to you. So this is Carlick Jones' number. He averaged 11.8 as a freshman, 15.7 as a sophomore, 20 as a junior. Now it's 16.7 at Louisville. Different level of basketball, better players around him. But here's the progression. As a freshman, he shot 30.5% from the three-point line. As a sophomore, 24.7, but now look at this. It pays off 40.9 as a junior and now 47% as a senior. The same progression that Jamal Baker's doing right now at Arizona where he didn't shoot the ball well, but he developed his game, played out. Those are the guys. That's normal progression for college basketball. Kentucky needs those guys. That's that's the stability. You turn – let those guys develop into stars. That's how it used to be at Kentucky. Back You go back to Tubby Smith's days, the Gerald Fitch days, the Cliff Hawkins days. Guys who started out as role guys that developed into stars. If if Cal, if that's what comes of this class and of these pieces that we're talking about, and then you mix in a five-star NBA guy that's ready to be a first-round pick, then you've got that perfect blend going on. It's hard to do. A lot of things have to work out. It's a hard time right now in any sport to keep anyone happy, professional or collegiate. Hell, even high school level. It's hard to keep anyone happy nowadays. That's just the generation we live in. But if there's a balance there, Derek, I, I think that what I'm trying to say is this this Kentucky program, it, it's concerning me right now, but I don't think it's all doom and gloom yet. Like I'm still kind of, I'm still seeing some seeds being sown that possibly this thing can be okay with just one or two things going in their favor. Right now they just need to win a basketball game. Yeah, no question. Like I, I think – if they get to a point where they lose like two or three guys, or sorry, if they only return two or three guys from this team, that's when I'll say it's just officially broken. But like, if you can add four or five guys back from from this year's team, like you should. Like to me, it should be a foregone conclusion that Devin Askew, Keon Brooks, if he's not going to play this year, if he's just going to redshirt, you should get Brooks, Fletcher, Ware, Askew, top and back. No, no questions asked. There should be nowhere else where those guys are going to go because they're not NBA guys right now, and and here's the they all have side. a path to play a lot at Kentucky, so there's really no reason to leave. And, and here's the other side of that. With Davion Mintz having the success that he's having right now, I don't think it's out of the question, Derek, that he comes back next year. Like, I would like to see it. I think – I don't know if he would want to come back if they're going to bring Clark in. I just – I mean, I don't know what he wants to do. He's He already had to – I don't know. He, he's an interesting one to me. Like, I don't see Sar coming back either way. I think he'll probably be ready to, to move on. But Mintz is having some success right now. Um, I don't think he's got a NBA future. He might have a professional future somewhere. I have no doubt he can play somewhere professionally overseas. But I don't really know what he wants. That, that would be an interesting guy because I, I would love the idea of having a six-year guy on that team, a team that already has more experience. He would be a very good you know piece. He's good. He's a good player. Like he, can play. he can play. And uh, I think Cal is seeing that now that you're seeing it. Like, there there were a couple of shots I went back and watched the game last night that he took late. Like, the three, he hit those back-to-back threes there late that he needed. That's the only reason they had a chance to win the game was, his, you know, his big shots. The last one he hit, it was so early in the clock. If he misses that, Cal's losing his mind and saying it's a bad shot. Yeah. But yeah. it's one of those shots, too, Derek, that I think Cal knows that his best player has to hit at some point. And if anything, it showed me that the kid's not afraid to take it. And you just see Cal on the sideline. He's walking down towards the baseline thinking they're going to start running their motion, and Mintz just pulls it. And maybe that kind of gets impressed that right now they just they just need someone to do anything. And I didn't care that it was early in the clock. He drilled it. Even if he had missed it, I was like, somebody has to hit a shot. 
he did it. I think he's turning into a big shot guy for Kentucky. If they can just get these other guys going, there's some stuff that's going in their favor right now with their role guys. They just got to find somebody to kind of emerge and be that guy. And here's the problem with that, though. You can't force it. You can't force B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, Olivier Saar to be your go-to guy. You can't just say, hey, you're going to be the guy we go. No, somebody has to emerge. And right now it's kind of open game. Who wants it? Yeah, I would like to see <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I'd like to see men's back just because – and I told you this the other day. Like, I think you need guys like that. Like, I think every really good team has a veteran guy like him who can kind of control things. <clears throat> He doesn't seem like a guy who's having very much fun to me right now. I don't, which I don't know. I mean, nobody seems to be having much fun. Don't get me wrong, but like, he came to Kentucky to win games. He came to Kentucky to win to you know to elevate his profile. I think he's doing one of those things, but he's not. You know, the team's struggling, and you know he's he's got a lot. He's only he's one of the only veterans on the team. He's playing with a bunch of guys. Like think about this, at Creighton they don't have any players basically like at UK where everyone is so young like. He's the old man kind of of this team. I'm sure it is frustrating to him because he's playing with a bunch of guys who, while talented or on paper they're talented, you know, they're not really to probably to his basketball knowledge at all. And he's probably having to be really patient with the guys. And I would say when you're losing games, it, it makes that patience a little bit. They, well, they, they need some wins just to get everybody feeling good again and feeling like something could come from this. <laughs> it goes hand in hand to me with the whole thing. And this is the, this is Cal's spot on when he said this in his early days at Kentucky, that you only look as good as the team looks. If if Kentucky's 6-1 and one and Davion Mintz is doing what he's doing right now, everybody's talking about Davion Mintz outside of Kentucky and his impact. The same way they're talking about a guy like Carly Jones right now at Louisville. I mean, what he was able to, what he's able to do. Uh, that's what I'm looking at, Derek, is, is though that Davion Mintz right now, there's two guys that, where would they be right now without Mintz and Toppin? I think that those two guys would be kind of the glue right now, but it seems like in recent weeks, those are the two guys that are kind of finding their footing a little bit. They are, you know, no question. Um, and I'm not saying that Jacob Toppin's lighting it up or anything. I'm just saying, based on expectations and what we thought, those are the two guys that have kind of excelled beyond what we expected, while everybody else has kind of not lived up to what we thought they'd do. No, like, I didn't think that Mintz or Toppin would be doing what they're doing right now. You're, you're thrilled with what Toppin gave you the other day, and, of course, Mintz as well. But, like, what Toppin did off the bench, like, you you take that all the time. I mean, that was that was good stuff from him. I hope that he keeps kind of – I think he'll be a guy who's, you know, a spotty guy. I don't think he's going to – Dude, I don't think he's going to give you 10 off the bench every night. Obviously, he hasn't shown that at all until Saturday. But just seeing some modest progress from him throughout the season and then throughout his career, really, I think is he's someone here I look for just as a good bench piece, someone who can do a few different things for you. If he can keep developing that shot, he, I think he's a really, really helpful player down the road. So this this podcast, is I don't think we planned it to be this way, but this has definitely turned into a – future of Kentucky basketball type. And it's it's hard because most other programs, I mean, like there's always the caveat for, for this program that it's like, well, you, you'll just have to wait and see and make sure everybody's come back. Like, well, there have been some guys over the past few years who didn't – like Keon Brooks did not flirt at all with an NBA decision last year. Like he knew he wasn't going to be picked. He didn't come here, I don't think, to be a one and done. So he came back ready to work. I think you're going to get that same kind of attitude from from Ware and Toppin, no question. And hopefully Fletcher, hopefully Allen, hopefully guys like that who are saying, hey, you know, there's a lot for me to work on going forward. Let's come back to Kentucky. Let's be a little bit better. I mean, think think about this. It would be a time that we'd never seen that, like, 
Dude, you know people will love the stories if two years from now the core of the team is Devin Askew, Jacob Toppin. Uh, just just pick whoever you don't think can only for the NBA, basically. And that is the core group that wins an, an uh, SEC tournament and makes a deep push. Like they would be some of the fan favorites of the Cali era. This podcast was not meant to turn into this. It was actually supposed to be we preview Dallin Cuff, you hear <laughs> Dallin Cuff, we recap Dallin Cuff. This was supposed to be Dallin Cuff's episode, but now we're going to just keep that, keep this as this, and then we're going to give you Dallin Cuff in a separate episode. Um, but I will I will say this though I've got to stop living in the moment. I think we're all prisoners of the moment when we look at this thing and we watch the games and then we come on here and we talk about it because they do look bad. Let's let's just be honest. They don't look good. They struggle to score. It's like a root canal right now watching Kentucky basketball, and uh, I think that's that's one of the things that just it's making it hard on everyone, fans. All I mean, even we're puzzled, but. Brent Wainscott wrote about it. I don't know if you read what he wrote yesterday. Yeah, I need to read it. I'm a, I like Brent a lot. He uh, Brent was a he, guy who uh, he, had to, he changed his Twitter name to Brent Rainscott because he was getting <laughs> all the uh, running games for football a few years ago. So Brent's a good guy. I like Brent. He put in his story yesterday. He wrote, and it was it was raw and it was real, and it told the tale of a lot of young fans, Derek. That. You know, people that have grew up watching John Calipari's program, that there's a respect for John Calipari and a love for John Calipari, but there's also – it's okay to be frustrated. Yeah. And he was yeah. talking that it's now – watching Kentucky basketball is more like a chore than it is anything else. And it's – I think it's true. I, I think there's people that will always enjoy watching Kentucky basketball, but right now I think people go into it just – it's kind of like the thing you have to do. Now, of, of course, us, it's our job. But – they're a shot away against Notre Dame from winning the game. They're a shot away from beating Louisville. They had Kansas beat if they yeah. knew how to finish a game. Is this team as bad as we think they are, or are they just all bad together right now that it just looks even worse than what it actually is? Because you, they've had opportunities to win against good teams. Like imagine how imagine how the conversation would be right now had they found a way to close the game against Kansas, given what Kansas is doing right now. Kansas looks like one of the better teams in college basketball. Uh, the Notre Dame game was weird because they looked like they were about to get drilled, then they looked like that they had got it figured out. I even said that they got some stuff figured out, and it looks like they haven't. They had a lead against North Carolina in the second half. They had a lead against Louisville in the second half. Is it as bad as – they're just not winning. Like, are they really that bad? Or, I mean, I'm not sitting here claiming that they're going to be a Final Four team. But it certainly feels like they should not be one and six. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no doubt that at, at some point this season, and it might be too late. Like I think at some point they're going to look like a competent basketball team, and it might be too late for it to, to matter in terms of the postseason. I don't know. I still. It's hard. Like it's they, hard they are only, they're only three, and I mean, only three in one possession games is tough. I mean, you would have thought they would have gotten one win out of that, a close game. They haven't been able to do that, but. I don't know. I mean, the Georgia Tech game I thought was bad. Richmond handled them pretty easily in the second half. Like, they're not I, – I don't know, Sean. Like, I don't think they're just absolutely – I don't know. Well, <laughs> of the 357 teams in college basketball, I don't know if you saw this, they're last in the luck category in Ken Palm. So not only are they just performing at a an all-time low statistically for a, for the program in a lot of categories – they're also 
they don't have any luck going for them on their side. So it's just a combination of just how it's just been an awful start. You have some of those other offensive stats though, and defense like they're statistically they're bad too though. Like they're, they're just bad. exactly. Yeah. Like they're not even getting lucky being bad though. There's team yeah. there's bad teams that get lucky from time to time. Right now Kentucky's a bad team that's not getting lucky at all. I guess to me, and it's one you can't quantify. It's just me watching, so the eye test take it for what it's worth. Like, I just, I just don't think they look like a very good cohesive team. So, I can, I can understand the point that hey, if a couple of these other games go differently, they're not sitting in such a terrible spot. At the same time, though, I don't, I don't know. But like, I do think though, at some point, like, Star's not going to go every game without making a shot. Like, that's not going to happen. Boston is eventually going to have a game where. It, we realize why he was ranked in the top five. Clark's going to be the same way whenever he gets his ankle healthy. Like there is going to be a point at some point this season where I think people feel happy or feel good for this group. I don't know. I couldn't pinpoint when it's going to happen. I would say maybe February. If it does happen, it'll be around that time. Um, I don't know. I, I need to get out there and read uh, Brent's article. See that, but I mean, I, I did see that you mentioned that thing about like I noticed that, and uh, also if you go off the statistics, I need to double check this, but um, I, I did see where I've, I've been kind of critical of Cal talking about how difficult the schedule is. Apparently, if you go by Ken Palm, it is one of the more difficult non-conference schedules he's he's scheduled at Kentucky. But well, I still think when you're at UK, there's a certain I just don't. I just don't think it's ever going to be a good luck. A good look, excuse me. Complaining about how tough the schedule is whenever you get drilled by Georgia Tech. A, a, no. You know, expect to finish like 13th in their league. So. Those are teams that used to fear you, fear playing you, when Cal was here. Like those teams didn't. Those teams played you just going into it thinking, oh crap, I'm about to get absolutely steamrolled in this game. But Derek, this 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 is what makes Kentucky Daily so good, in my opinion, is how we have a plan and then we go a different direction and we just roll with it and. Hopefully you all enjoyed this episode. You will hear from Dallin Cuff. We're going to put that in an episode just with him. Uh, it's a very good interview. We want to make sure that you get to hear that as well. Uh, Derek, I appreciate you. Uh, I know that this podcast, it's, it's grind at times, but we always enjoy coming on here and just kind of just talking and putting our thoughts into you know audio and letting the fans listen to exactly what we think. And I'm sure you don't always agree with this and – that's the, that's the beauty of this thing, though, and we we appreciate the support. Continue listening, uh, continue giving us reviews, continue continue sending in mailbag questions, and we'll continue uh, churning out content for you. Uh, he's Eric Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.